You can open up in your Bibles. We're going to be over first at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. When we get there, there was a story of two water towers that had always served as a landmark for travelers heading for their homes near, and I hope I get this right, Wakanda, Illinois. But especially at the holiday times, this was a particular landmark because this, the people would put two lighted crosses, one on each of the towers. More than 40 years ago, the village chief, chief of police, John Cooster, has suggested mounting these twin crosses on these towers to mark the Christmas season. So eventually the whole village just adopted that and that just became part of the tradition. Every year they would set up these crosses. And they did that for 40 years until in 1989, Robert Sherman, who was spokesman for the American Atheists Incorporated, heard about the crosses. And since Wakanda's crosses were on government property, he threatened to sue them. He said it was a violation, of course, of church and state. And he said, if you don't want to go through all the hassle of the court and the costs and everything like that, then you just better take them down. So they had several hall, town hall meetings after that. Resident Joyce Mitchell, member of the Crossroads Community Church, asked God to give her the right words and the right spirit before each of the meetings. The Christians in the community were united with the rest of the community, whether they were churchgoers or not, in refusing to let some outsider tell them how to celebrate Christmas. But the decision was forced by economics. Realizing a similar case had lost in court, the residents of Wakanda opted not to burden themselves with the hundreds of thousands of dollars in court costs. But then a grassroots group of residents had the final say. They said like this, Our business, Wakanda Boat Company, is located across the village hall. Resident Rosemary Bush, boy, I can't even say that name, Bushchick explains, The meeting about the crosses was on a Tuesday night. And when it was over, we knew the crosses would have to come down. Then my husband, Chuck, went to the back room of the shop and constructed a window-sized cross with lights to display the next day. Will Schumacher, whose home appliance store is also on Main Street, also put up a lighted cross. Within weeks, crosses were appearing on houses everywhere, attached to antennas, stuck in yards, beaming from trees, shining in windows. It just happened. When Joyce Mitchell drove around the village with her daughters, who were six and nine at the time, she began to cry. The media portrayed us as losing the fight, but we didn't lose. Two crosses have been replaced with hundreds, and God was glorified in the end. The crosses continue to shine each year, and no one will tell us to take down our crosses, said Rosemary Mayers of Mayers Restaurant, which inherited one of the original tower crosses. That cross is up there forever. I came upon this story, and I try and do some research to make story, make sure I, stories I find are actually legitimate. And as I did this, I found out that it seems, as best I could tell, that this year there is a children's book being released on the story of the crosses. It is called The Cross and the Water Tower. If you want to look it up, you can go to thecrossandthewatertower.com, and you can look up. Now, who's, what is really interesting about this is the author. It has listed on there as a co-author that the 
And if you look at the picture of them, they'll give you some of the bio information on them. They are 17 and 18. And they say they also co-author this with others, and then they show you a picture of a whole bunch of children younger than they are. And they are authors of the, the children's book. So the cross on the water tower.com. Uh, I found two news reports about that book just uh, dated one December 13th and one December 2nd of this year. So if you want to go out there and check that out, that was a pretty good Christmas story. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Sometimes we have to just look at the things that hinder us, don't we? People who are dealing with the two crosses, what hinders us from putting these up? And they had to evaluate what actually hindered them from putting up those crosses. And when they determined what it was, they found a way that they were not hindered anymore. But he said here, see, here is water. What hinders us? What hinders us? There's a lot of times, folks, that things hinder us from being faithful. Isn't that right? How many times have you desired to be faithful, wanted to be faithful, thought you were faithful, and things came up and hindered you? So here the, the guy says, here's water. What hinders us? What hinders me? What's in our way? Everything's taken care of. Well, how many times do we find reasons for why we're hindered? For why something isn't going to go? Why, well, this just won't work. This isn't going to go. This, I can't be faithful here. I can't make this grand over here. This is just going to have to be mediocre. It's just going to have to be subpar. It's just going to have to be whatever it is. I'm satisfied with, well, I gave it my, I gave it the best shot I could. Well, we've got to do something better than that. How many of you folks, especially you men, sit at home Sunday afternoon watching football and watch a guy put a half-hearted effort out on catching a ball? How many of you are satisfied with that? How many of you say, well, he, he, he tried the best he could. I mean, how many of you have ever sat on your, on your couch, sat there and said, well, he gave it his best shot. How many of you are not sitting there saying, why didn't he catch that? Why didn't he go just an extra yard? Why didn't he throw that better? How could he have dropped that? You're watching some basketball? I can't believe he took that shot. How can you miss that? You're right there. Traveling? I mean, how many times you sit back there? You don't, you do not want to accept subpar performances. And you're not even paying their salary. You're just watching them. Or here's my favorite. How about a subpar performance from the referee? How many of us like that one? Are you kidding me? You called what? That isn't a, that's a penalty? Come on. That's not right. We don't like subpar performances, do we? How about when your wife made up dinner? You call this dinner? How many of you want to say that? <laughs> you call that a dessert? How many of you will say that though when you get to a restaurant? Get to a restaurant and they, don't, and they serve you your steak and instead of medium, it's rare. You call that cooked? Let's give another shot on that. Call for a pie a la mode. You think that's ice cream? Let me show you what ice cream on top of a pie is. You, we, don't want, we don't like subpar performances. 
But out of ourselves, we're okay with them. Because I was hindered. Something got in my way, right? Stopped me from being faithful. Well, it got hard. You know, how can we get into the trash out? Well, it's cold. Is that right? It's cold, huh? So we'll wait until summertime and put the trash out. How about that? So let the dog out. Now it's raining. Well, I guess the dog just have to wait until it stops raining. Can't let the dog out anymore until it stops raining. What hinders you? I mean, how many times do we find things that hinder us? Did you get that done? No. Why? Well, we know it's not a real good excuse. We'll throw it out there anyway. Just didn't get to it. Wasn't in the mood. Subpar performances. We're okay with subpar performances out of ourselves, but not out of other people. Especially other people that impact us. We gotta stop letting things hinder us and apply ourselves. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Look at a couple of things in this. One came what? He is not just casually coming up to Jesus, is he? He is desiring, he, he seems to sense that there is something missing in his life. Something is not quite right. And he sees Jesus and sees this as a man who has an answer. And he's tired of a subpar performance and something in him. So he comes up to Jesus. He's not just casually walking. He comes up running, kneeling before him. Gets Jesus' attention. One came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, If Jesus looked on him and loved him, how many know that the guy's heart had to be at least somewhat genuine? They're not, Jesus, they're not saying this about Jesus. If he picked up, he was a hypocrite. If he was trying to trap Jesus. The guy was desirous of making himself better, tired of a subpar performance, wanted to go better. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things that I have kept from my youth. So Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack... One thing you lack. How many of you would like Jesus to be able to say about you, one thing you lack? Glory to God, if we can get it down to one, huh? (laughs) Hallelujah. Get it down. It's just one? Oh, I'm so much, I'm feeling so much better now. Because how many of you got to listen more than one? That's just the stuff we know. (laughs) My list is bigger than one. God's list might be bigger than that. One thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give it to the poor. Now he said, how many things does he lack? One thing you lack. But then he says a couple of things. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give it to the poor. Now it's one thing to sell what it is that you have. At least you have the money. 
But then once you sell what you have, give it to the poor. Then you don't have the money anymore. So everything you have is gone. The poor has it. Then he said something else. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. How many things did he lack? How many things do you count in this list? How many count more than one thing in this list? But Jesus said one thing you lack. Well, Jesus probably just got it wrong. Maybe Jesus was thinking one thing and as he was saying one thing, inspiration came and he came up with some more. How many like that? (laughs) No, it's probably not it. When Jesus says there's one thing, it's probably just one thing. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So he wanted to get better, but... mm, Now, what was hindering him? First off, he didn't know what he was missing, right? So Jesus cleared that up and laid it out for him. This is the way. This is what you got to do. This is how you got to get it done. This is all that you need to do. One thing you lack. So now he's not ignorant anymore. He knows what he has to do. So now what the, what's hindering him from doing it? And involves selling his possessions. Involves getting rid of all that stuff. Probably the following God part wasn't hard. But selling the possessions? Now the disciples, they didn't have to sell what they had to follow him. Why does this guy have to sell what he has? That's not fair. How many of you folks here had to sell what you had in order to follow Jesus? Nobody? Guess you all aren't genuine. (laughs) Something had this guy. It seemed like the riches had him. And he had to get broken from that because as long as he'd be following after Jesus, these things would still have him. So God wanted to make that cut. And that's what he needed to do. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his word. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, just in case you weren't clear, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. So he first says, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? This got the disciples astonished. They were upset. You know why? Because they had money. Most of the disciples were rich by that standard. John, Peter, James, were they just fishermen? They owned the business. In fact, they could leave the business. People would run it for them. They'd still get the money off of it. And when they were done following after Jesus, what did they go do? Went back to work. Went back to fishing at the boats. So apparently they didn't sell the boats. They still owned the boats. Still had them. Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors generally are not poor in those days. Because not only did you get the money that the government wanted, you got extra money for yourself. (laughs) So they weren't poor. Now, other ones may not. Maybe Mark didn't have a whole lot of money when the time that he was following after Jesus. He wasn't actually one of the disciples. but Maybe there's some there that didn't have a whole lot of money, but there was a lot of them that did. And so when Jesus said, it's hard for rich people to enter into heaven, they're thinking, what are we doing following this guy? 
We're rich. We got money. Maybe not as rich as that guy, but we got money. So they were astonished that Jesus clarified it. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. And this was the problem the man had. He didn't trust in God. He trusted in the riches. And so to sell what he had and follow after God would have been a change in the trust. And he had a hard time doing that. And Jesus just identified one thing you lack. What is it that he lacked? Trust in God. That's all he lacked. Trust in God. And Jesus tried to give him a way out of that where he lacked. So they didn't lack trusting in God anymore. How many of you know we, are, we have areas we lack in that area too? We're not quite trusted in God. We have a hold of other things. It is easier for a camel to go through the eyepiece of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we can get into all the ins and outs about that, but just be understanding to say, it's hard. Jesus is trying to get the point across, it's a hard thing. If you are going to trust in riches, it is next to impossible. Probably is impossible for you to get into heaven. Now, I know there's a gate called all this stuff and whatever it is, but as far as I can tell, Jesus is trying to get us to understand it's a hard thing if you trust in riches and you don't learn to trust in God. Trust in God. In order to become saved, don't you have to trust in God? It's a hard thing because those riches get you and you want to trust in them. They were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, not, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. They didn't sell all, they left it. He's very good in his wording there. We left it. It's still there, it's still ours, but we left it. But how many of you know that a business does better when you're there working at it? They did leave it. Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there was no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions end in the age to come. Now, I remember when we started this, we said to you, for where your treasure is, there will your... And we told you that you had to identify what is it that comes to you specifically for what you do to God. Here he is telling you right now, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers, mothers, wife, children, lands, for my sake and the gospels. Now, this doesn't mean not people here, but other people that you know in other places and other churches and faraway areas who might read this scripture and say, well, I don't get along with my wife. I'm going to leave her for God. This is not what this is talking about. Who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and wives. Oh, that's not there. You all going to make up, get by with that, weren't you? <laughs> no, you're not going to get an abundance of, of spouses. But he says, in this life and in the kingdom that is to come. 
and in the kingdom that is to come. So when you leave something, some, now understand he's listed things that they would enjoy. How many of you have left things that you enjoy for the sake of the gospel? Well, I don't enjoy that. I, I really like that. But, you know, I, I just, in order for me to be faithful and do what I need to do for God, I need to leave that. Take a look at some things that you all may have gotten involved with. How many of you used to like to, to read novels? Maybe you still do. I'm not asking for that. You may still read them. That's fine. I've had a desire to desire to read novels. But I have not actually gotten there. My daughter would outread me by far. By the time she graduated high school, she read more novels and more classics than I ever did because I had absolutely no desire to read them in school, in high school. And when I got to college, I had even less desire to read novels. I did pick up a desire to read some books, but they weren't novels. And I actually took a literature class and found a way to graduate past that literature class without reading a single book they gave me to read. <laughs> I read parts of it, but very few parts. In fact, one book, I was just, it was a Christian school, and they gave us a book that I was surprised they gave Christians to read. I was appalled at it. I said, I'm not reading it. And all I did was hear that it wasn't a good book. In fact, my, my mom was the one who told me that. I told her, yeah, we're supposed to read this book. Oh, really? They're getting, that's not a real good book. Oh, it's not? All right. <laughs> that's all I need to hear. I'm done. <laughs> I'm not reading that one. We'll find a way to get through. <laughs> I didn't read it. I don't know what was in it. Didn't find out. But um, I had a desire to, to, you know, you hear people talk about some of these classic things and some of the stuff they read, and they get a lot of rich sharing out of it. I'm not there with that. My daughter would read some of these ones two and three times. I hadn't read that in a couple of years. I guess I'll just pick it up and read it again. She's done it in a week. I'd still be working on it now. <laughs> it just didn't grab me all that all that much. But how about if some of you gave up? You, you used to love reading novels and and gave up some of that to pursue God, to read the Word of God. To go out, you gave up something for that. So you see, when you give up something for God, something that you like, now, don't get this idea that everything that you like, you have to give up. That's wrong attitude about it. But if something is, is holding you back and some, I'm giving time to this, but I need to give time to this for God, I'm going to leave that, God, so I can put more time into this for you. I'm going to go after this thing for you. Well, you've left something, haven't you? And that's what he's talking about. When you leave something that you love, when you leave something that you desire, oh, I, I, I enjoy doing this, and I'm going to do this for you, God. He's saying, there's a reward for it. Now, there are Christians who will get to heaven who didn't leave anything. This reward is not theirs, but it can be yours. But just make sure you, you don't misread things into that. The disciples left their families to pursue God, to follow after Him, to be there to help them out. They left their businesses. They left things that they liked. They left things they enjoyed. And God may call on you to do that, to get things ready, to work on certain things. How many times God may say, leave what is comfortable, this little area over here, and go over here and talk to this person over here that's not comfortable. But I like to talk to my friends and the people I get along with more than that one. And I like talking to that one. They're this way and they're that way. And, and, they, and they get it. Oh, I don't like all that. You got to do some of those things sometimes. What hinders you? God identified, Jesus identified what hindered this person. In the realm of obedience, there is that which is easy. We can overcome that without much effort. 
give you an example here of a of a high jumper. How many of you ever watched the high jumpers on the Olympics? I like watching them. Never have tried to do it. I like watching them. It seems to, to be good. And if you ever go back into the archives and see some of the ways they used to, to do this, you know how they used to do the high jump? I mean, they just jumped it. That's all they did. They just went up and jumped it. And then all of a sudden, this one guy, I forgot what his name was, one guy got the idea to go over it backwards. What's his name? There you go. And so he... uh he went over it backwards. And from now, from that point on, other people picked it up and now that's the way you do it. You go over it backwards. But it didn't always used to be that way. But say that you have a, you're, you have a high jumper and you have a bar that's this high. Is that hard? Is that hard to get over? That's easy, right? There's not much hindering there. I mean, I'm taller than that thing. I'm going to step over it. That's, that's, that's not much that's there. There's no real hindrance to getting over that. There's areas in our life, folks, that are easy. We don't even think about it. It's just this, it's not even an obstacle. We can overcome that without much thought or effort at all. It's just, that's a piece of cake. Those those areas that are challenging. Alright, I can probably do that, but it's a little bit more challenging. If you're a high jumper, that, that bar comes up to here, up to here, and you're gonna do that backwards jump, that, that's a little bit challenging. You can do it, but it's a little bit challenging. And then you got those ones that we would list as difficult. They're hard. That's a bar way up there. I don't know if I can get up to that. I don't know if I can get up to, to that kind of a place. That's a that's way up. I mean, up here, I'm okay with up here. This is this is a challenge, but I'll I'll take it on. But then we got those areas that are difficult. Well, how does a challenge to our faithfulness fall into one of these categories? Let's take on the easy one first. We find that the rewards of faithfulness outweigh the obstacles. This is when something becomes easy to us. When the rewards of faithfulness outweigh the obstacles. How many of you have a desire or have ever been faced with the opportunity to reject Jesus Christ, curse Him, and go your way? How many of you would take that? Well, the reason you wouldn't is because being faithful to God, the the benefits far outweigh what you would see on the other side. This is better. It's much like how many of you, if you had the choice after church today, that someone said, I'm going to take you out to lunch. And I'm either going to take you out to Outback for the biggest steak that you want to get or to McDonald's for a $1 double cheeseburger. What are you going to do? Hmm. Double cheeseburger with fries and a Coke. Or out back with a ribeye, 16-ounce steak, garlic, mashed potatoes. Hmm. I mean, is this a hard, is this a hard thing? Is this a hard decision? Don't the benefits of one outweigh the benefits of the other? You'll take yourself to McDonald's for a double cheeseburger just about any day of the week. But not always will you take yourself out to Outback for a 16-ounce ribeye steak with garlic, mashed potatoes. Corn. Cornbread. They serve cornbread up there? They don't, they should. Everybody should serve cornbread. That just should be mandatory. Boston Market serves cornbread with just about every meal. Glory to God, most of my family doesn't like it. I love going to Boston Market. (laughs) I get a lot of cornbread. (laughs) Mmm. 
the, the benefits of one just so outweigh the other. It's not even. What are you talking about? If you had a, jo- a job offer, one job was paying you $50 an hour, one job is paying you 7 <laughs> Hours are the same. Work isn't much harder. Distance to travel is about the same. How many of you have to think about this? Do I really want to make $50 an hour? That's a lot of money. I don't really know if I'm worth $50 an hour. Yeah. No, it's the benefits far. It's easy. This is not a hard thing. And there's a lot of things in our life, folks, that we don't even see as hindrances to us because the benefits far outweigh the reasons to not do it. It is far better to do it than to not do it. But that's not true for everybody. How many of you all know some folks have addictions to things and you can hear what they're addicted to? And you think, Really? You like that? Like, uh, I, I haven't seen anybody doing this here, so I can pick on this one, and I know I won't step on any toes. Chewing tobacco. You ever watch those guys at the plate? Baseball, baseball. It just seems to be the thing in baseball to do. It's not in football. It's not in basketball. But in baseball, just about all of them are chewing. You see them chewing, and you think it's gum, but uh, it's not. It's not. It's just, and you, how many of you look at that and say, you know what, I'm thinking of picking that up. No, I mean, you look at that, it's it's gross. I mean, they spit out this awful stuff, and if they accidentally swallow it, they get sick to their stomach and throw up. And it's, How many of you are thinking, why would you do that? What are the possible benefits of chewing tobacco? What is it? But you look at these guys who do it, I mean, they're just addicted. They've always got this, got this wad that's sticking out over here. It's, oh, come on. No temptation, right? This is not a problem. You are not feeling this because the benefits of not chewing tobacco far outweigh the benefits of chewing tobacco for you. So it is in the easy category. This is not a problem that is not going to pull me in. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get everything that is a hindrance in our life to fall into that category? The rewards of faithfulness outweigh the obstacles. I have renewed myself well on God's word and his purpose. And I know what the benefits are of obedience in that area. And the temptation to fall off of that, it's not there. Well, what about the challenging area? This takes effort, but we can win it. How many of you have those areas, those hindrances in your life? It takes some effort. Takes some effort, but you can win it. The rewards of faithfulness are not as clear. The rewards of faithfulness are not as clear. I mean, you know that there's benefit in it, but you're not quite so sure that the benefits are all that bad on the other side. I mean, I'm sure this, it's good to do, but it's, nah. and so when you get that temptation that comes up, you give into it. You find that hindrance. Well, we'll pick on something here that just about everybody can attest to at some time or another. How many have ever been late for anything ever in their life? <laughs> well, we far, we know that the benefits of being on time are there, right? Well, there's benefits for being on time. There's benefits for not being on time. We don't like those benefits all the time. But nevertheless, we know that being on time is the better thing. And we're, we've made our plans. We've got the day going on. And i got to do it this way, this way, and this way. And just as we're going, the phone rings. Well, if I answer that phone, I could be on the phone for a little while. And then, uh, well, I'm just going to answer it. And you answer the phone. And you end up you know, 15 minutes later leaving. And where you were going to be early, five minutes early, now you're 10 minutes late. You got pulled off of that, didn't you? 
because the benefit of being on time there wasn't necessarily all that convincing. Now, if the benefit of being in line was good, uh, was it uh, Black Friday? You all know why they call it Black Friday? Because businesses go from being in the red to being in the black overnight. That's how I got that name. And so we have Black Friday. You all go out there. And at 4 a.m., if you show up at this store, you could be one of the 10 people who get this for this price. So 3 a.m. in the morning, your alarm goes off. Get yourself ready. Drive on out to the store. You are in line by 20 of 4 to get that because there's only 10 of them going to give it away. So you got to be in line. You know, I watched people get in line for uh, right after the, the iPhones came out. People were getting in line overnight for those. People would get in line overnight to get tickets to a game. I would laugh at people like that. Says you got to be kidding me. I'll wait a week. <laughs> it don't matter to me. I'll wait a month. I'll wait a year. I'm not staying up all night waiting in line to get something that I can get 10 bucks cheaper. That's just not... I have to, you have to outweigh the benefits there. But those things that are challenging, those things that I'm not quite sure of the benefit. Not always are we sure of the benefit of being on time for a thing. Not always am I sure that I need to be there. And, you know, we have that doctor's appointment. How many have a... 10.15 doctor appointment. He's always running late. I don't need to be on time. He's a half hour. I've got at least a half hour after 10.15 till he even, even see me. And just to happen that day, they're on time. But you're not quite as clear on the benefits. If you are not clear of the benefits of why God wants you to do it a certain way, then when the option comes to do it less faithfully in another direct, go, go another direction, do something else, it becomes a challenge to you because it's out of the easy area. And the reason it got out of the easy area is because you are not as sure. Well, I could show up on time, but who really cares anyway? Nobody else will be on time. I'll be the only one there. What's the matter? Not quite sure. Something gets into this challenging area because we're not as sure of the benefits for doing it that way. Rewards of faithfulness are not as clear. Clarity from God's Word is what is needed there. Then we have the difficult area. Most often we walk away defeated from these things. The rewards of faithfulness are unknown. Unknown or uncertain. The rewards of faithfulness are unknown or uncertain. I do not know that I will get a reward for that. How many of you know, if you are due to report to work tomorrow, how many of you know for certain that more than likely you will be there? You know why? Because they will reward you for coming. And they're diligent about rewarding you for coming, aren't they? Every week, every two weeks you get a paycheck. If you show up, if you do not show up on Monday and don't show up on Tuesday, it does affect how much they reward you. And so it's that reward that moves us over into that area. If they were not going to pay you, how many of you would be as diligent to show up for work? As much as you love it. How many of you are going to be as diligent? Now, some folks here will say, oh, I really love my job. Really love, oh, this is the greatest job in the world. Really love my job. But all of a sudden, the paycheck is off the table. 
and you get to show up. Maybe the first week you show up there just because you really love your job, but then all of a sudden you're just not loving it as much. There's just, I don't have to be here. I don't have to take this. This isn't for me. I'm not being rewarded, and you're gone. And it becomes very difficult for you to show up and be over there at work because of the reward. The reward. We've got to know what that reward is. The reason something in our life is either difficult, challenging, or easy is because of our certainty of the reward we will be getting. The more certain you are of the reward God gives for what you do, the more sure, the easier it is to say no to the hindrance and you're just, I'm going, I'm staying with this. This is the way I'm going. And that's what we have to do. We have to get assured of the reward. I have to know. Now, who's rewarding you? See, this is a, this is a problem that we get into. We think people reward us and God. God rewards me, but people also reward me. And I want to get both rewards. And if I get into that spot where I want to get both rewards, I have a problem. Because my focus has gotten off the true rewarder. It has gotten off the true reward. It's gotten onto something else. And as soon as I start, don't start getting what people give me. Hello. You're over there at work. You show up at work. And no one's telling you you did a good job. No one's telling you they appreciated you coming in. You felt lousy in the morning. Your hot water didn't work. The car wouldn't start. When you back down the driveway, you got a flat tire. And here you are, you're not feeling good. You had a cold shower. Your tire's flat. You got to get out, fix the tire. And finally, you make it in only a half hour late. And what are you greeted with? Why are you late? What are you doing showing up here? Do you know what problems you caused showing up a half hour late? And you're thinking the whole time, buddy, you're lucky I didn't just call in sick today. You are lucky I am here at all. You don't know what I went through to get here a half hour late. Right? That's what you're thinking. What are you saying? <laughs> you're thinking that, but I'm not quite saying that out of my mouth. I expect certain rewards from people. I expect them to automatically know. You're late today. Was everything okay? Are you feeling all right? Was something wrong with your car? This, there was, was there an accident on the way? Don't we expect that? Don't we expect at least a little bit of leeway from somebody? But no, they jump on you as soon as you get in. And now all of a sudden that paycheck isn't looking like it's uh, so hot a reward as it was before. I don't know. That paycheck's nice, but I don't like this part. See, as soon as you get off from thinking that God is your rewarder solely, and get into the spot where God is your rewarder and people are your rewarder. You've got a problem. Because you have allowed the clarity to be gone. You have allowed things to come in and mix in with that and it's not quite as clear. And so things move out of the easy area and they move into the challenging area. Things that were in the challenging area move into the difficult area. And the things that I used to do with ease... And I was faithful and I did them with everything in me. Now, all of a sudden, I don't find the same effort. I don't find the same gumption to get it done because I've allowed things to come in and to taint that. Who comes in and taints your doctrine? Word of God calls them doctrines of devils, the deceiver. They come in and they teach you something that's 
mostly true, just a little off. Well, yeah, God is your rewarder, but still people ought to appreciate you. How many of you thought that? Pick that one up. Well, I know God's my rewarder, but I still ought to be appreciated. That's not too much to ask. <laughs> oh, man. You have allowed the doctrine of God to be tainted. Could you imagine this? If we wrote in, if we read in Luke chapter 10, verse whatever. And Jesus said as he left the city, y'all appreciate me. I healed your sick. I taught you. And here you are ready to stone me. You ought to appreciate me. Can't believe you don't appreciate me. I'm going to go to Samaria. They'll appreciate me. How come we don't read that in the Bible? How come we don't read about Peter coming out of the city? Tired of you all dissing me. I deserve better than this. I saw that article you wrote in the paper. Oh, we got to stop relying on people. All the world may hate you. Your brothers and sisters may hate you. You know, Jesus' brothers and sisters hated him. They didn't get saved till he got, till he was dead. None of them. They all probably saw him as the favorite kid too. Yeah, Jesus doesn't do anything wrong, does he? <laughs> He's perfect. How many know Jesus had a, had a hard time growing up amongst some kids? How many times would he say? Y'all aren't going nowhere without me. Y'all need me. You don't know how much you need me. What are they saying? Yeah, go out of here. Get lost, Jesus. And when he finally leaves home for ministry, glory to God. They probably said that first time. Glory to God. (laughs) He's out of here. But Jesus probably would have appreciated some appreciation. Didn't always get that. Peter, Paul, John. They would have appreciated some appreciation. They didn't get it. Not all the time. If you get into that spot, you are allowing the clarity of God's Word to get foggy. Turn over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 22. After these things, Jesus and His disciples came into the land of Judea. And there He remained with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem. Because there was much water there. Isn't that great? Why was John baptizing? I mean, isn't that a spiritual reason? John, why are you baptizing so much? Well, look at all the water. I I would be thinking, well, look at all the people who wanted to be baptized. Look at the need in the people. No, look at the water. Wow, there's a lot of water around here. Let's do some baptizing. I just think that's funny. John also was baptizing because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized for John had not yet been thrown into prison. There's another reason why he's baptizing. He's not in prison. That's a good reason to baptize people. Hey, I'm not in prison yet. Let's baptize some people. 
And there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. In other words, they're going to his meeting. Jesus, he's over there, and you're over here, where there's much water, and we could be doing much baptizing because there's much water here. But they're going over there. There's not as much water where Jesus is. There's more water here. They ought to be coming here. Well, how many of y'all know that could be a hindrance? John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who, who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Does John have clarity of purpose? Does John know why he's here? Does John know who he is to point to? And does John know who that someone is? Is there any doubt in what John has just written that he knows who Jesus is, what his purpose, where he came from, why he's here? Is there any doubt about that? He is so convinced of it that when people leave his meetings to go to Jesus' meetings, he's okay with it. And his statement is, hey, he must increase. I must decrease. This is all right. This is the plan. This is the way it's supposed to happen. How many of you would think that? How many of you imagine being at a job, and you got that job first, and you're working that job, and you do that job really well. And all of a sudden, here comes somebody else new, hired six months after you. And they start getting more raise. In fact, they're being paid now more than you are. How many of you would respond, they must increase and I must decrease? How many are not saying that? <laughs> saying that increase belongs to me. I earned it. I am the blessed of God. So what are John's challenges here? First, people are leaving. Jesus is coming. And his purpose is ending. This does not speak well for John. I think John envisioned that he'd have a longer ministry, that things would go on a little bit longer, but people are leaving. Jesus is coming on the scene, and his purpose is coming to an end. He must increase, but I must decrease. Turn over to John chapter 1, verse 26. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. 
these things were done in Betharbara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Does John know that he's not the guy? Does he know someone else is coming? Verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me. For he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to, said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking, Jesus, looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to him, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him the day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Andrew is a disciple of John. He's a disciple of John. He's following after John. And on the first day, John says, there's the guy I spoke about yesterday. Here's the guy. He's the, he's the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the next day, these two disciples are following. Who are they disciples of? John. They're, they're part of his tight group. And they say, he says again, behold, there he is. And so they said, really? So they, well, why follow the, this guy when we can follow that guy? We're going to follow some guy. Might as well follow the guy. So they go on over and they start following him. And they say, where are you staying? Well, you come and see. So they came and saw and they sat down there and talked the whole day. And Jesus talked to them and came on back. And they told, Andrew told Simon, we have found the Messiah. Is there any doubt in your mind that John knows from this day all the way up until chapter 3, when he also reiterates it, that Jesus is the Son of God? That he is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world? that John's purpose was to point to Jesus. And when Jesus came on the scene, John was to step aside. Is there any doubt in your mind that in John's mind, that's the way it was? None, is there? Wouldn't it be nice if things always stayed the same? Wouldn't it be nice if what you were convinced of today, you were also convinced of tomorrow? Wouldn't that be helpful? Turn over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his, his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison, John's in prison now, about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Apparently he still has two. May have some more than that. We know that at least two of them walked away. And said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? 
<laughs> now, we read John chapter 1. We read John chapter 3. Was there any doubt in your mind that John was convinced? No. But here we have in Matthew chapter 11, which probably comes after John chapter 1 and John chapter 3, even though it's a different book, right? Because John was not in prison and that's why he was still baptizing because he wasn't in prison and there was lots of water. <laughs> and now he is in prison. So this must come after when he wasn't in prison, still baptizing people with lots of water around. So he's in prison. Disciples still come and visit him in the prison. They haven't left him. Probably some other ones did, but these ones haven't left him for Jesus, for greener pastures and all that sort of stuff. And so he sends, he says, look, you guys, will you go over to Jesus and will you ask him if he's the one? Now, how many of you are, if you're one of these two disciples, you say, didn't you say he's the one? Didn't you say that the one that you saw the Spirit of God come down on and stay, that that would be the one? Didn't you say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Didn't you say that he must increase and I must decrease? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I know. But just go ask him. Just, just, let's just make sure. I'm just, you know, not sure. I mean, my ministry's pretty much over. I'm in here in prison. Things aren't, aren't going real well for us here and you know, the offerings are down. Not real sure how you know things are going to go here. You just go check and make sure. I, I'm beginning to think we did all this for nothing. I'm here in prison. No one's really take, paying attention, but you two guys do. Appreciate you. Appreciate you coming by all the time and hanging out with me here. Go on out there and just just check that out. Just just see. Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, "Go and tell John the things which you hear and see." The blind see, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Isn't that nice of Jesus? Wait a minute. I mean, Jesus, yeah, I am him. Tell him it's okay. He did the right thing. I'm the guy. But he doesn't do that. He says, look, go over to John, and you tell him, you know, the dead are raised up, blind eyes are open, deaf ears Demons cast out. The Word of God's being taught. You tell them those things. And so they go on back and they report these things to them. And that's the last we hear of it. Wouldn't it be nice if what you are firmly convinced now would always be that way? But what you have firmly convinced yourself of and hindrances to you being faithful, they don't pull you aside at all. They don't, they don't grab you. They're not pulling you out. It is easy to resist Every bit of that temptation. Just as it was for John. It was easy. The area of, of being jealous of Jesus or thinking of, of, of Jesus coming and taking over his ministry wasn't a problem. But then all of a sudden, it became one. And now we haven't quite gotten into the difficult area, but we're definitely in the challenge area. We move from easy to challenge. And it's a little bit of a challenge for John to see that Jesus is the guy. That he did all this, that he pointed to the right person. And he's having thoughts that maybe I pointed to the wrong person. Maybe all this was for nothing. Maybe my purpose in ministry, lost. It's no good. Just not sure. And the things that were easy to resist are now a little more challenging. And discouragement would try and come in and try and tell them, you're losing your ministry. You're losing your support. You're losing your disciples. You're losing the followers. 
got lots of water, but you're not going to have a whole lot of people to baptize pretty soon. Then he's sitting there in prison, facing the things that he's facing. And his discouragement is not as easy to turn away. He's having a harder time with it. There are hindrances, folks, to you being faithful. Every single one of us have hindrances to us being faithful. Some of them are easy, at least for now. But some of those things that are in the easy area, if you do not maintain them, can move into the challenge area. Some of those things that are in the challenge area may move into the difficult area. It may seem to be insurpassable for you. But just as things can move from the easy to the challenging to the difficult, they can also move from the difficult to the challenging to the easy. What was difficult for you a year ago to believe may be a piece of cake now. What was difficult for you to fight off the hindrances to a year or two ago may now just be a challenge. Or maybe they've moved all the way down into the area of being easy. And the reason that it happens that way is because you fed off of the Word and you became clear of the purpose that God had when He said this in His Word. When He said, I want you to do this. I want you to be faithful here. I want you to go... Whatever it is, you are clear on it. As soon as we begin to lose that clarity, faithfulness will not be as diligent. We won't be as diligent in being faithful. We'll let it go. Well, I'm not really sure that I'm needed. I mean, Jesus is here now. How do I know if I need to be here? And I just kind of go away. And got to stay clear on the purpose. Clarity on what the Word of God has to say comes from continually meditating in the Word of God. Continually meditating in the Word of God. Continuing to read it. Continuing to go over it. I don't know. I haven't told you this story in a while. I know I've told it to you before. Way before I was ever going to be a minister, way before I ever decided to go into the ministry, before I ever made that decision, I was just going to be a biologist. Before I ever made that decision to answer the call that God had had said, Steve, I want you to do this. Before that happened, when I was a senior in high school is when that happened, right toward the end of my senior year in high school. Up until then, I had read the the Bible cover to cover five times. And my only reason for doing it was to become the best believer I could be because I was going to be a biologist. Hadn't decided which one yet. Marine or micro, they were the two that interested me the most. I was going to go after one of those. Marine was really my first love. But um didn't really see a whole lot of jobs in marine biology, so I was thinking of going the other way. Five times I read the Bible cover to cover. Not because it was for a job or occupation. When I was a senior in high school, I could tell you every single story in the Bible without looking at the Bible. I could tell you every one. I could tell people stories that they had never heard of. When I went and took my test over at college, Christian college, they gave us questions like Isaiah 28 and verse 10 talks about this. And they give you multiple choice. And out of 350 students, seven of us passed. I was the only one who passed that didn't go to a Christian school. No idea what the score was. They didn't give us any of those. They just tell you whether you passed. And if you passed, you could bypass your first year 
Bible classes and go into second year Bible classes. Probably didn't make a whole lot of sense for everybody else to do that, but it made sense for me. I bypassed my first year Bible classes, went right into second year Bible classes and was off and running from that. But I had no aspirations to be a preacher, teacher, simply a love of the Word of God. You must fall in love with the Word of God. You must read it, study it, meditate it. So I can sit back and just meditate on the Word of God because I've spent years putting it in me. Spend the time to put it in you. Get clarity. Stop being faithful for the wrong reasons. Because the wrong reasons won't last. They don't give clarity. They don't give direction. They don't give certainty. And things will move from the easy area to the difficult pretty quickly. You'll have a hard time like John did. Things moved over. Understand this. Clarity in the past does not guarantee does not guarantee it for the future. It takes maintenance. You must maintain clarity of the Word of God. It's my job to help you in that as the pastor. Take you in the areas and give you clarity of the Word of God to give you things to meditate on so that all week, I hope all week long, you have things to meditate on. If I only give you enough stuff on Sunday morning to make you, make you meditate only until Monday or Tuesday, then you need to be out here on Wednesday nights. Come on out on Wednesday nights, get a recharge. Or else download the MP3s or whatever else you got to do. We try and make it easy for you. But you ought to be studying the Word, coming up with your own questions, your own things to meditate on. And constantly be meditating on the Word of God. What areas am I unfaithful or less than faithful? Only you can identify that. What is it that identifies a faithful or an unfaithful area? I put four things down in here. And you can answer this, well, this area, how am I doing in this area? What am I doing in this area? And you can identify how faithful you are in this thing. Four things. First off, prompt. If you are not prompt, you are probably not faithful. Presence. If you are not present, you are probably not being faithful to that thing. Effort. If you are not putting out effort, then you are probably not being faithful. And I don't just mean effort at the time. I mean effort studying, checking things out ahead of time. Getting yourself to be the best, whatever it is you do that you can be. Like the army says, be all you can be. Last one is excellence. Do you strive for that excellence? Do you strive for that grandness? Do you go after that? I'm going to make this be the best that I can be. Whatever it is that I do, as far as it is up to me, it is going to be the best that it possibly can. And you have got to stop blaming other people. As long as you blame other people for your un faithfulness, for your lack of being prompt, present, putting out effort, or striving for excellence. As long as you blame other people, you will never get over moving something from challenging to easy or difficult to challenging. You'll never get over that. It'll always just get worse and worse. you got to stop letting these people push you around. Don't let them do it. How many people told you that you did a good job? Don't get used to it. Don't look for it. You don't need that. They do it, great, but don't depend on it. Prompt, presence, effort, excellence. Got to make sure that you're there. If you take on to do something, you make sure you are there every time it needs to be done. If you're going to do something, make sure that you are prompt. 
You put every bit of effort into it that you possibly can. I still get people all the time who say, why do you get up at 2, 2.30 in the morning? Because it can be better. Because I'm always, it can be better. I can do it better. I can make it this way. I can pray longer. God can give me more ideas. Whatever it is. You, you've you got, got to stop letting other people dictate that. Believe me, that was not a hard le- that was a hard lesson for me to learn. Because I let other people dictate that for me for a while. People didn't like this thing that I said or taught or did. It bummed me out for a while. Way before I came here. Learned that lesson early. I had to learn. You, you, you can't you can't let that bother you. I had one episode. God told me to do something in the church. I did it. And one of the leaders we had some rebellion issues with stood up in the middle of the service and disrupted the whole thing. You don't think that could have thrown me? Sure did. Started a murmur through the church and people were ready to split and half go this way and half go that way. I had to make sure I handled it in a certain way so that we didn't cause any kind of a split or any kind of a problem over the thing. People will always be dissatisfied with what you do. And other people will always like what you do. It's all right. Just make sure God likes what you do. That's all. Make sure He likes what you do. And if God doesn't like what you do and everybody else does, go back to the drawing board. Go back to the drawing board. Don't worry about that. I told you before, I could come out of here and every single one of you. Oh, Pastor Steve, that's a great message. Thank you so much. Oh, that was, oh, that hit me. Oh, that was so good. And God said, you didn't do what I wanted to do. Guess what? I messed up. I messed up. I can come out of here and every single one of you frown at me and some of you slap me. And God say, it's all right. It's what I want you to do. And I'll be okay. I can go either hold my head up high and not be depressed and be okay. Stop letting people dictate whether you're faithful or not. Strive for faithfulness. Strive for excellence. Yeah, people to the right of you aren't faithful and people to the left of you aren't faithful. But what keeps you this way? What is it that keeps you in that area of having something to be easy or not become easy, something to become difficult or something challenging? What is it that keeps those things in those categories? Why is it that putting that effort out? Why is it that striving for excellence? Why is it that being prompt? Why is it that being present when you say you're going to be present? Why is that hard? What is the challenge? You've got to identify it in your life and then you've got to get clarity in the Word. What is my reward? What is my reward? How many of you today, if I told you by the power of the Spirit of God, I told you the lottery numbers that were going to be picked? How many of you would, if, if you, and I tell you, I know this is true. I'm going to go out and buy 10 of them, but... This is, this is, God told me, woke me up in the night, and these are the, the numbers. How many of you who have never played the lottery would say, I'm going to go get my t- a ticket. I'm going to get one. I mean, it's only going to cost you a buck. 
It's not like you're going to lose a whole lot. But all of a sudden, you got some confidence in that thing. You got some clarity in it. Otherwise, you go up and you think, I'm going to think, I don't know, I don't know what numbers do you pick. I don't even know what numbers they are. Do they go 1 to 100? They go 1 to 50? What are the numbers? I don't even know what they are. How can I pick? And you get all confused and you walk out. But if I were to come up and say, pick this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one. And some of you were skeptical. And you didn't. And you watched the news and it was this one, this one, this one. Ah, oh, Pastor Steve really did hear from God. And if I come back a year, a year from now and I say, God told me. Because he wants prosperity to come to his church. So he told me the winning lottery numbers again. And I give them to you. How many of you, if you didn't do it the first time, you're out there the second time. I'm buying that ticket. I'm going to get myself a ticket. I'm going to get me some millions. Because there's clarity on it. If you are absolutely certain of the reward, you are clear on the obedience. You are clear on it. You've got to be absolutely certain about the reward. And the only place you get clarity from that is the Word of God. You've got to strive to get into the Word of God. I'm going to meditate in this book day and night. I'm going to keep this in front of my eyes, just like it was told to Joshua. I am going to do it. I'm going to write principles down in my principle book and go out there and read over them so I can remind myself of things that I should be doing so I can stay obedient because of the benefits that are there. Get clarity on it. Get clarity on it. Faithfulness depends on you. It does not depend on anyone else around you. It only depends on you. Until you get clarity on that, you will continue to struggle. It only depends. But I don't have that. doesn't matter. It depends only on you. If you don't have something, ask God what you should do about it. Ask God how to use what it is that you got. If you're missing this, ask God to supply it. If it doesn't supply it, how do I use what I have? Go back and watch Apollo 13. Love Apollo 13. Come into the engineers. Engineers are great, aren't they? Come into that room of engineers and they throw all the stuff on the table and you said, you got to make this fit into this using nothing else but what's here. And how many of you know, somewhere along there, one of us, if we were in that room, we'd say, oh, but I need. It don't matter. They don't have it. This is what they have. We can use this. And don't, don't you know they came up with a way to make this fit into this using just the stuff they had. And then they gave them the how to, how to, how to do it. Save the whole mission. Otherwise, those guys would have been dead. How many times they overcame things? And they couldn't sit there. That's just a great movie. Y'all ought to go home and just watch Apollo 13 just today. It tells you about how American ingenuity can get us past things. Well, if American ingenuity can get you past those kind of problems, what can godly ingenuity get you past? It's far better. God wants to reward you for being faithful. Oh, he wants to reward you. Father, we thank you that you are the rewarder. You want to reward us. You desire to give out rewards. You desire to give rewards out to us. Father, I thank you for it. I thank you that you would give us clarity on what those rewards are. That we know why it is that we do what we do and what's coming to us at the end. We are clear on it. We understand. And so we're prompt. We are present. We put out every bit of effort we need to. And we strive for that excellence. Because we are faithful to you doesn't depend on what so-and-so does, what brother so-and-so does, or sister so-and-so does. doesn't matter what, what we have or what we don't have. What matters is, 
I will be faithful with what I have to the best of the ability in me. And whatever it is that I lack, I will come after you. For you are my source. You are the one who will supply me. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.